ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان خير الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار الحمد لله this is our final session we have spent three nights and uh, at least two whole days and two half days together inshallah at the end of it all I mean, it has been a, a good experience, I hope, and I have to, in a traditional manner, inshallah, express my thanks and gratitude on behalf of everyone who participated, those who came to attend and those who put the program together and helped out. Uh, just one or two announcements uh, I, um, I have to make. The first of all, we did a very successful um, fundraising session yesterday, as you yourself must have uh, experienced from last time if you came or previous times. Um, we have generally raised about twice as much as we had done last year, and that's a, a great uh, improvement, obviously. Alhamdulillah. Uh, what the assurance I'd like to give is, like, if we cannot uh, employ the money in useful projects, then we will be um, offering them to other complementary organizations at home or abroad. So sometimes you may find money has been siphoned off and given to some other organization, and that still fulfills the purpose of the finances being used in the right way, but not particularly by us in Jimah, so to speak. Um, I would like to, um, before it, um, it becomes rushed towards the end, express my thanks on behalf of everyone, uh, to the speakers, all of whom took great time and trouble to get here, because most of them, if not all of them, came from abroad. Actually, only one person came from the UK, and he left yesterday. And the other speaker, Muhammad al-Sharif, left this morning to catch his flight, and he expresses his thanks and gratitude and sends you all his salam as well. But in, including him, the rest that you see on the panel, they all came from abroad, from different countries. So we have to thank them and pray for their welfare to Allah. I'd like to also thank all the attendees, that's all of you, brothers and sisters, young and old, everyone who came. Because without audience participation, the conference is nothing. We can have the highest caliber speakers and the best management and infrastructure in place. If two people turn up, it's a, it's a shamble. So of course, the more the merrier, it adds to the tension and stress it also makes everything more fun and worthwhile, alhamdulillah. I have to also uh, express, express my thanks to all the helpers. And at this stage, I think I'm going to miss out uh, a, number of, uh, a great number of people if I start mentioning them by name. And even the various departments, I won't be able to recollect in any order or form or fashion. But of course, the conference cannot happen without uh, a number of uh, disciplines coming together. Uh, like the stewards, or the caterers, or the cook, those who cook or the security, or those who manage the halls, and those who like oversee the registration. So many, many people, in many ways, they help, and their duties overlap as well. And particularly security, you may find that sometimes very young people help out in road crossing to registration and so on. Some of them are 12, 13 years old, and everybody are volunteers, so that adds a great touch to the whole experience, alhamdulillah. And I have to also thank the university, because although we are paying customers, however, the university uh, also show a, a, a lot of uh, respect and professionalism and particularly the porters are very very nice very well mannered 
and uh, those who are in charge of audiovisual, very cooperative, and they go out of their way to be helpful and make the whole experience a, a great experience for all of us. So I'd like to express my personal thanks and the thanks of the whole organization to the university, to the university staff. Finally, now, I'd like to mention that um, in between the presentations by the speakers, I might have to interrupt them, as in when announcements are need to be made, when coaches arrive or something happens, and I'll be frequently perhaps interrupting, stopping them, typing up a sign, or even grabbing the mic and saying some things, inshallah. But generally, the London coaches come in two batches. There are five of them. Three of them are from East London, two from other areas. And three from East London, E1, E10, they're coming at 11.30. And the other ones from Southall and SW7 or 9, they're coming at 12 o'clock. If you're sitting here and you belong to a coach, ideally you should have packed and brought your luggage with you. So when the coaches arrive, you board the coach straight away. Because if you're at Digby Hall, you wouldn't have time to walk back and come back within five minutes, until about 20 minutes minimum. And the coaches will not wait for too long before they depart because they are also time conscious. And keys, uh, we need to have, uh, get back all the keys. You can now drop the keys off either at the information point at brothers and sisters area or at registration. But please don't forget the keys. If you miss any valuables that you left behind or forgot, the university staff themselves go around each room and hand over, even money they find, petty cash, they're very, very trustworthy, hand back everything to us to do make inquiries. And finally, if you have any comments to make, criticisms and ideas for improvement, you must contact us. In the previous conference, we would have, for example, evaluation forms. We dispense with that, partly due to lack of resources. But you can email us. Our email address is mail, M-A-I-L, at gmas, J-I-M-A-S dot org, mail at gmas dot org. Good things or bad things, we honor all comments. And before any, organ any conference, we actually read every single email and go through the whole list of suggestions that they make, improvements and, and so forth, and incorporate as many as we can, which fit into the, uh, our uh, ability, inshallah. So without any more um, announcements, I would like to first and foremost ask uh, Sheikh Jafar Idris, to say a few words of, con uh, of conclusion. Jazakumullah khairan. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'inuhu wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina wa sayyati a'malina. I would like to remind you, brothers and sisters, of dua. Dua is the essence of ibadah. And the most important dua is the dua which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made obligatory on all of us to repeat at least 17 times a day. And that is the dua in Surah Al-Fatiha. اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِينَ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الضَّالِّينَ So you start by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and saying that you depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Then you say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ You alone we worship, you alone we ask for help. Then you make that important dua. So when you pray, yani, be conscious of that dua. It is, it is the most important dua in your life. Something that you need to repeat in every raka'ah of your salah, whether it is obligatory or it is nafl. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeen, guide us to the right path. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you that right, that right path is not a path 
that uh, you understand according to your own um, opinion or so, you read uh, the, this uh, verse or you read that uh, hadith and you say, this is the way that uh, I understand what the path is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, therefore described that path as being the path <coughs> of those whom Allah an'ama alayhim. And uh, there are many verses in the Quran who, which describe these kinds of people. النبيين والصديقين والشهداء والصالحين the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم his companions and the great imma of the Muslimin you want to take this path غير المغضوب عليهم not the path of those who knew the truth but rejected it or refused to act according to it ولا الضالين neither the path of those who were ignorant and even when they wanted to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they, they followed just their opinions or whims or so. This is the most uh, important dua. You are living in uh, special circumstances, and if every Muslim needs dua, perhaps you need it more than, uh, than others. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always to guide you to the right path. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase you in, in, in knowledge. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make you act according to the knowledge that he has uh, given you. And uh, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. Um, you are young people. Um, perhaps uh, you might commit um, even some grave sins. So don't let the shaitan come and make you despair. Uh, remember that your, uh, your Rabb is Rahim and he will always accept you even if you do the gravest of sins just uh, turn to him don't despair don't say I am a hypocrite this is what the shaitan will come to you he will use um, religious language you know, to, 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 to make you deviate he, uh, he might come to you and say uh, to you now, you are a useless person, you are a hypocrite, uh, uh, you grow a beard, you pretend to go to the masjid, but look what you have done. So uh, you had better not be a hypocrite uh, and, and tell people what you, you are doing. No, you don't tell anyone. There is no confession to human beings in Islam. You confess only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You, 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 you repent. It, any time you do a grave sin, even if you repeat it as according to hadith several times, if you are sincere in, in repenting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept your repentance. The gravest sin in the world is that of shirk, to associate or to worship something besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts even repentance from this. So if he repent, accepts repentance from from this, he will accept uh, repentance from anything that is uh, yani comparatively minor uh, co compared to it. If a person commits zina or even homosexuality or yani, whatever, um, if you steal, if you tell a lie, whatever grave sin uh, you might commit, remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts your repentance and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. So be in contact with your Lord all the time. Make dua, be sincere, trust uh, in Him, 
and inshallah um, he will help you and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater and stronger than all the circumstances in which you live so don't think that uh, adverse circumstances will necessarily force you uh, to do things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, told you not to do. If you depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is all powerful. He can make everything easy uh, for you, insha'Allah. Um, I have to also add that I think it's in our consciousness or in our hearts that uh, a lot of Muslims are indeed uh, in a vastly inferior position compared to us. There are a large number of very sincere Muslims incarcerated. Uh, unjustly and illegally and we need to remember them in our prayers as well and ask Allah for mercy upon them to relieve them of their stress and to support their families many of them are harmed even against the standards of international law or humanitarian creed according to their understanding and so we are in a desperate situation in many parts of the globe so we should have that global awareness as well but anyway our next um, next speaker is going to be Dr. Abdullah uh, Hakim Quick inshallah my beloved brothers and sisters, I begin with the greeting words of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alhamdulillah, it has been a, um, a very fulfilling experience for me uh, to be with you here today. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would accept these few moments that we have spent together uh, and put it on our scale of hasanat and that Allah would forgive us uh, for the mistakes that we have made um, and for the wrongs uh, that we have done. The Muslim Ummah today uh, is in a very critical situation and we could say that because of the events of September 11th and because of the uh, decay of Western society to the point where now they have become desperate in terms of controlling the world and controlling the growth of Islam, that we are being put in the barrel of decision. We are in the barrel of decision. And um, this pressure being applied to us, the demonization, um, the attacks coming on us physically, ideologically, are not necessarily evil things. Because within the course of Islamic history, we see that when the Muslims were pressured the most, that the, the good rose to the surface. And so in um, relationship to this pressure coming on us, uh, Muslims have responded in different ways. Some have tried to assimilate. They have tried to um, become part of the system, to lose themselves within uh, a corrupt, decaying Western culture. But that doesn't work. Because if there is any uh, Iman in the heart, if there is any Haya, if the person has Haya, any type of shame or modesty, then it is difficult to totally associate with a society that is in the throes of cultural, political, and moral death. It is difficult to associate. So assimilation is, is not working. Other people have tried to isolate, isolation. They've buried their heads in the sand and wrapped themselves up within their masajid or Islamic centers or their homes 
or their halakas or their ideology and try to totally disassociate with what is happening in the world and take joy in the fact that they have an ideology or a belief that they feel is going to save them in the next life. But isolation also doesn't work because the present technology um, and the ability of people to connect and to communicate in all parts of the world simultaneously has brought us all together and it has opened up uh, uh, many of the veils, many of the cultural political veils in the world. So isolation is not working and is only causing confusion um, for those who are, are isolating themselves. Other people have tried confrontation and in many cases desperate confrontation. But this is sending the wrong signal. And this, in many cases, is putting Muslims in a situation that they are not prepared for. And in many cases, it takes a, a, a wartime situation and applies it to a peace, a peacetime uh, uh, situation. And, and this is not working either. What we are in need of is positive engagement based upon Islamic revival. That we revive Islam within ourselves, we go back to the original sources, we dip from the original uh, fresh water of the early generations of Islam, we access the original sources, and we uh, bring to life Islam within our hearts and within our lives. And this revival begins with the intentions. Our deeds are based on our intentions, and we will surely get that which we intend. And so we need to purify our, our, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to really try to be as sincere as we possibly can be and to, and to submit completely. If there are some doubts that we have, we need to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that submission and sincerity should go straight to the heart. Because the Prophet peace be upon him said, there is a lump of flesh in the body. If it is sound, then the whole body is sound. If it becomes corrupted, then everything is corrupted and that is the heart. And so the revival uh, uh, touches the heart and then the heart emanates uh, the positivity to the rest of the body. That message should then interpret itself in the character, character development. And for a long time we placed great emphasis on ibadat. We, we emphasize the preciseness in our ibadah and this is important this this is part of one of the essentials within Islam but we also need to now look at character and the Prophet peace be upon him has informed us that he was sent to complete the best of character and that the essence of this message is the character of the individual and so the character interprets itself and manifests itself in the way of the Prophet ﷺ, balance, hikmah. We are so in need today of wisdom, not just piling knowledge into our into our minds, but developing that ability and praying to Allah subhanahu wa taala for that ability to say the right thing at the right time, to to to, to use our Islam or, or to practice our Islam in the proper perspective. So we need to pray for for this wisdom and balance and also to develop tolerance that we can be committed yet open-minded committed to Islam yet open-minded we listen to other people especially to other Muslims and the fact that you listen to another Muslim 
that you open your mind and your heart doesn't mean that you're not committed. So committed but open-minded, strong but humble at the same time. Strong and humble. And so we need to, to combine these and, and, and have this type of tolerance as the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, had with all types of people. And finally, I believe that it is crucial for us, especially in these moments where the pressure is on us, to look at the whole picture and to have a positive attitude. And the Prophet ﷺ, it is reported whenever he would send out people on a mission, he would tell them, Bashiru walatu nafiru, yasiru walatu asiru. Give glad tidings. Be positive, optimistic. Don't drive people away. Make it easy. Don't make it difficult. And so this bushra, we need to have this bushra, put it into our lives. It's a win-win situation. We hold on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a victory. Either we get it in this life or in the next life. So positivity, bushra, and also taisir. That the Prophet ﷺ, if he had a choice between two matters, both are being halal, he would choose the easiest one for his companions. Make the religion easy within the hudud, within the limits of Islam. And let us take these moments to, to really look into our hearts and to clear our hearts. Especially with other Muslims. And to develop the love, that love as a basis. To love other people, especially the Ahlul Qibla. And I take it a step further that we need to even have uh, uh, the love in our hearts for all of humanity. We hate the deeds of kufr, But the love of humanity, so that a person that you once hated, you may hate his race or hate his type, and then he says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and then you love him. Because you didn't hate his flesh. You didn't hate his language or his race. This is the nationalism and the filth of tribalism of this world. But we love uh, the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We love the believers and we love what is righteous. So let us clear our hearts and pray um, that Allah would bring us together with Muslims and give us that ability to take this message to the four ends of this world. Positive engagement based upon Islamic revival. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. If I could now ask Sheikh Salim Al Amri to say a few words. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه ومن اتبعه داهل يوم الدين ما بعد. There is nothing more to say. ما شاء الله. But as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَى تَنْفَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Remind the believers, because reminding helps the believers and brings benefit to them. Uh, the theme of the conference, as you know, it was being like Muhammad sallallahu That is what we should come out of this conference, taking Muhammad sallallahu to be our example in all aspects of our life. How the Prophet ﷺ was behaving, how was his, his life, everything that we take Muhammad ﷺ as our example. And there are rights of this noble Prophet ﷺ, he has 
upon us. We own our own and we have obligations towards him. We should love the, our beloved Prophet ﷺ more than ourselves, more than our children, more than anything else on this earth. We defend him by any means. We will not tolerate anyone to talk even, evilly and badly about our beloved Prophet ﷺ. If anyone says anything, then we should defend our Prophet ﷺ. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he wrote a book. It's called As-Sarim al-Maslul ala Shatim al-Rasul. And he said in that book, if one insults the Prophet ﷺ, has to be killed on the spot. Even without referring to the ruler. But of course, in this situation, you have to take into consideration the consequences. But at least... We should not give the chance for anyone to attack our beloved Prophet ﷺ. That is one of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ. We get angry and try to defend him. And also we love him. The Sahaba, they loved the Prophet ﷺ too much. That one of the Sahaba said, Oh Prophet of Allah. He saw him, he's very, very sad. He said, why are you sad? He said, Oh Prophet of Allah. When you go to your wives and when you disappear, I miss you. I miss you. Really, I miss you. And when I remember that you might be in the upper assembly in the Jannah, and maybe I am somewhere, maybe in the hellfire, maybe in the Jannah, that's why I miss you. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, don't worry, you will be with me. You will be with the one whom you love. The one whom you love. Oh Allah, assemble us in the company of our beloved Prophet ﷺ. Whom you love, you will be with. If you love Muhammad ﷺ, you will be with him. If you love the disbelievers, you will be with them. And you choose for yourself. You'll be resurrected with those whom you love. And it is you to decide. One of the Sahabiyat, in the battlefield, the news reached her. Your father died, your husband died, your son died. He said, never mind, what happened to the Prophet of Allah? Sallallahu They told her, he's alright. He said, I will not believe it until I see him with my own eyes. And when she saw the Prophet Sallallahu he said, anything else is nothing, as long as you're alive. As long as you are unhurt. That's what she said. Also, we should follow the footsteps of Muhammad He left us on a solid ground, on a clear path. No crookedness in that path. A path that will take you straight forward to the Jannah. And he said, He drew a straight line. 
He drew a straight line. And then he drew on the side of the straight line shortcuts and branches. And he said, this is the straight path that will take you to the Jannah. And all these shortcuts are ways of deceptions. Upon every shortcut, there is a shaitan calling the people to the hellfire. So the way to the Jannah is only one way. And that is the way of Muhammad One of the Muslim scholars said, if you want to enter the Jannah before Muhammad you will never enter the Jannah. If you want to enter the Jannah shoulder to shoulder, you will never enter the Jannah. If you want to enter the Jannah, walk behind Muhammad So leave the bid'ah, leave innovations. The Prophet said, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, The deen has been perfected, completed. No room for any additions or modifications. See this glass of water. When it is full to the brim, if I try to add water, it will overflow. And the deen has been completed. If it accommodates like this now, it can take more. Because it is incomplete. Only the incomplete will accept additions. But the deen, has, the deen has been perfected and completed. That's why all additions to the deen, the bid'ah, are not accepted. Anyone who invents anything in our matter, in our deen, it will be rejected. And it will not be accepted from him. Don't be deceived. Someone tells you that this is khair, this is good. There is no khair except if Muhammad told us and told us to do it. If someone comes to you and says, this is good, do it. Tell him, is this good? The Prophet did he know it or didn't he? If he says yes, he knew this khair. Ask him a second question. Did he teach this khair to his disciples, his companions or not? If he said yes, say where? Produce your evidence if you are saying the truth. If he says no, so how did you claim that it is good when the Prophet ﷺ didn't teach it to anyone? So the good has to come from the, the, the Prophet. ﷺ. Anything that he did not do, we should not do. Even if the majority of the people are doing it. People now, they will say, all the people are doing this. That is not the criteria. The criteria is what Allah said and what the Prophet said. And yesterday, and the day before yesterday, questions were received, especially last night, which are giving the, we, many of the questions, the news were very sad and, bad, and very bad news, and shocking news which reflects the social ills that Muslim families are going through. <clears throat> so, we need to define and change ourselves and change our characters and behavior. For I want every one of you today, inshallah, to come out, as the Christian will say, born again. Another person, completely different, character is different, working hard to improve his akhlaq and manners. Because that is Islam. 
The Prophet ﷺ, Aisha was asked, tell us, describe the character of the Prophet ﷺ to us. He said, كَانَ خُلُقُهُ Quran." His character was the Quran. What does it mean? The Quran says, be a humble person. The Quran says, give charity. So whatever you read in the Quran, you'll see that it has been crystallized. It has been implemented in the character of the Prophet ﷺ. Brothers and sisters also, they have problems. They want to get married. So my advice for the parents and the brothers, that we should help them to get married. Parents should open their hearts for their children. Parents should step, step over all the norms of Jahiliya. All the norms of Jahiliya, we step over it. If the brother is religious, fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, irrespective of his nationality or, or, or color, whatever, get him married. Get him married. Otherwise, the Prophet ﷺ said that will be cause a lot of corruption, moral corruption, and it will be widely spread. And I will quote a story happened, this happened in Saudi Arabia. True story. There was, as parents, we should buy happiness for our daughters. Happiness, we buy happiness. Because I want my daughter to be happy. So there is nothing wrong to go if you see a pious husband and say, are you ready to marry my daughter? Our daughters are not better than Hafsa, the daughter of Umar, radiallahu anhu, who came to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and he said, I want you to marry uh, Hafsa. And he kept quiet. And he went to Uthman and he said no. And then a few days later, the Prophet ﷺ proposed and married Hafsa. Then Abu Bakr came to Umar and said, My brother, are you angry with me? He said, Of course I'm angry with you. He said, By Allah, by Allah, the reason that stopped me from accepting her, because the, Abu Bakr, see the close relationship between Abu Bakr and the Prophet ﷺ. He said, the reason that stopped me, I heard the Prophet ﷺ one day mentioning Hafsa. He said, what did Hafsa do after the death of her husband? So I felt that he was going to marry her. That's why I didn't accept Hafsa. So this man in Riyadh, pious man, pious father, he saw a good brother in the masjid, all the five prayers. He asked about him and he checked his record. Don't, sisters, I'm telling you now, don't be deceived by the length of the beard. Or the short thobe. MashaAllah. And he's using miswak. And when he speaks, you think, MashaAllah, he's an angel. The moment he marries you, the clothes will come out. <laughs> Don't be deceived by that. Okay? I'm not saying that we should not grow beards. But this is reflecting what is inside. So there should not be any dichotomy between the outside and the inside. Not that we look like angels, we are devils inside. That is hypocrisy. That is nifaq. And the Prophet ﷺ is the best example. So this father, he invited this boy for a cup of tea. After Asr. And he told his daughter to bring the tea. 
the brother was sitting in the sitting room with her father and the girl came carrying the tea. So he lowered his gaze. You see, the imam, he lowered his gaze. He said, maybe now this is an accident. The girl thinking that her father is alone. So the father said, it is bland, it's not an accident. So please look at her. He looked, she was mashallah. And then he lowered his gaze again. So what do you think? You can imagine now, flashishness, red face, mm -mm, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah? I don't know. He said, but you know, uncle, you know, uncle, I'm still in the collie, you know, I don't have a flat. I don't. He said, don't worry, this is the key of the car, this is the key of the flat. Everything is made. What do you say? He said, of course, I have no problem. <laughs> this, this father loves his daughter. He buys happiness for his daughter. You are living in the West, brothers and uh, uh, fathers in particular, and brothers. And you are married. And your daughter is in the next room. And maybe she, there is a telly inside her room, right? And she is sitting there and going through all these filthy programs. She's a human being. She will go through all these feelings. So that's why you have to get her married. The sooner the better. Even if she didn't finish high school or whatever. Now she's a woman. Get her married. Because the kuffar also enslaved us intellectually. That the girl should not get married until she gets her degree. Where is that? In the book of Allah? In the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ? The girl will get married when she is after 24, 23. And most of the brothers, I don't know here the criteria, but back home, the brothers, they come to me, said, I want to get married. I said, okay, what is the age? He said, 16, 17, 18, 19 maximum. We want uh, things that, uh, what they call them? Crispy. Spring chicken. <laughs> That's what they want. When you tell him, when you tell him she is 22, she is 23, some sisters now in the 40s. So she oh, she's like my mother. Okay. So that's why we have to educate our sisters and our daughters that when a husband knocks the door, don't say no. Don't say no. And also, this father has another daughter? you will not accept that. I know. <laughs> another thing. Imam ibn al-Qayyim, brothers and sisters, mentioned that the shaitan accesses the heart of the son of man via two gates, two doors, two windows. The gate of lust, what is we call shahawat, desires, lust. That's why you find a brother praying the five prayers, but still going on to porno sites on the internet. And he will lock the door. And one, it's a real story, he was watching pornography, he was pornographic sites of pornography on the internet, and he was masturbating. It is a real story. And he died masturbating. And when his parents, they opened the door, he was dead, and porno site is on. You want to die like that? So what is the cure for the shahawat? It's the fear of Allah.
that Allah is watching you. And the second door, it is the door of shubuhat, doubts. Doubts, the shaitan plays with the mind. Don't trust your mind. Don't say I'm an intelligent person. You cannot be more intelligent than the Mu'tazila. There are many people who were intelligent, but they were misguided. Always turn to Allah and say, Oh Allah, keep me steadfast. Oh Allah, guide me. Oh Allah, help me. Don't rely upon your intelligence. And the cure for the shubuhat is the ilm. What is the ilm? Imam ibn Qayyim, I'm concluding. Imam ibn Qayyim said, Al-ilmu qala Allahu qala rasooluhu. قال الصحابة ليس بالتمويه ما العلم نصبك للخلاف سفاهة بين الرسول وبين قول فقيه What is it? The knowledge Allah said, the Prophet said, العلم قال الله قال رسوله قال الصحابة Allah said, the Prophet said, the companion said. Do you think that you will understand the deen better than Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali? Woe to you if you think that. Impossible. It's not part of knowledge. When we tell you the Prophet said, you tell us this scholar said this or that scholar said that. What is this? There is an, a proverb in Arabic says, Don't you think that if you say your sword is very sharp, it is sharper than the stick? Did you praise the sword? No. If I say your car is so fast, it is faster than the tortoise. <laughs> okay? And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us. May Allah increase our iman. May Allah keep us steadfast upon the way of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah. Sheikh Mamdouh, if I could now ask you to say a few words. Seven minutes. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين حبتي في الله أحييكم بتحية الإسلام السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته I advise Sheikh Abu Muntasir next time he will make Sheikh Salim at the end because he's hard to follow my topic is about Two words only. They are very easy to remember, very easy to teach others. They rhyme. They are, they are very simple. But before I do that, I'd like to make a short test for you. What is this month? Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. Now they learned the lesson, alhamdulillah. Yesterday they would say, but anyway, we are in the month of August. The month of August for most Washingtonian is a remembrance of uh, the most famous speech by Martin Luther King in 1963, and I'm sure you heard about that. His speech was about, I have a dream. And my speech now is about, I have a vision. And the two words that I'm going to focus on is, or are, the vision and the mission. 
the vision and the mission. And the difference between the vision and the dream is the dream that has no timeline. You get a dream, you don't know when will it happen. But the vision is something that you plan for. You plan a lot for it, and you try to achieve it, and you are sure that it will happen at a certain time. And it, as it is defined, the vision is the power to anticipate something that might happen or will happen at a certain time. And most of the companies, most of the organizations in advanced countries, when you go and visit them, you find that they have vision and mission. They will say that after 20 years, our plan is to achieve this and this and this. Some others would say that after 50 years, we will achieve this and this. And they found some Japanese companies are planning for more than 200 years. But they have vision, they plan to work to achieve this. As for the mission, is the group of tasks and activities that are done in order to reach or to achieve uh, this vision. And you see those companies and organizations and states, they spend a lot of money to achieve or to make uh, these visions and missions. Uh, they bring lots of experts, lots of consultants, they pay a lot of money in order to formulate these visions and missions for these companies. And of course, because it is a human work, after some time, they change them, and they again, they bring other people and pay them, and so on and so forth. We have been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have even these issues, the vision is very clear for us, in the Quran and the mission is very clear for us in the Quran as Muslims. The vision of every Muslim should be focusing on that day, the day of judgment. This is where every Muslim expects to go there and we know that this, will, this day will happen at a certain time. And therefore the Quran guides us to prepare for that by saying in many verses, and this is one of them, وَابْتَغِي فِيمَا آتَاكَ اللَّهُ الدَّارَ الْآخِرَةِ وَلَا تَنْسَى نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا In everything that you have, target Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, target that day, gear it, use it, utilize it, mobilize everything that you have for that day. The school you are going to enroll at next semester, the courses you are going to take, the wife that you are going to get, the clothes that you are going to buy, everything that you are going to do, ask yourself, is it something that will help me reach that day safely or not? The friend you accompany, the house you buy or you rent, try to ask yourself this question. Is this thing will take me safely to that day and will make me go to paradise or not? So your focus is sharpened on that day. Everything that you do, you shouldn't lose focus on that day. However, don't forget your portion in this dunya. 
So enjoy whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made halal for you. However, your main target is not in this dunya because you know for sure that you are not going to live forever. You are going to spend maximum 70, 80 years, maximum 100 years. No one, I think, amongst us would think that he would live 200 years. Is there any? No one. So know that this is temporary and this represents just a small dot in an ocean for eternity. So if we are smart and we say that we have a vision, our vision is on that day, the day of judgment, we should be prepared for that day. As for as for as far as the mission, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned many verses in the Quran to tell us as Muslims what is our mission on the earth. One of the most famous verses is وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ insa إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I have not created jinn and mankind except for one thing, that's to worship me. Our mission on this earth is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our mission is not to heap money. Our mission is not to, to, to marry women just for the sake of marrying women. Our mission is not this and this and this. Our main mission on this earth is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all these things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made halal for us are means for us to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the focus. So don't miss a day without focusing on your mission. Whenever the adhan is called, put everything aside and come to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because this shows how much commitment you have to the mission that you were created for. And briefly, there is a verse that sums up the vision and the mission at the end of Surah Al-Kahf that says, فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ The vision, فَلْيَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِعِبَادَةِ رَبِّهِ أَحَدًا فَمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا لِقَاءَ رَبِّهِ Whoever wants to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he should do righteous deeds. يَعْمَلْ عَمَلًا صَالِحًا وَلَا يُشْرِكْ And he should not associate anyone with Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I hope you remember as Muslims this vision and this mission. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Jazakum Allah khairan. If Sheikh Shabir Ali could now um, say his piece. No. I see somebody's coach is Sheikh Shabir was reminding me that he didn't notice anyone leave for the Middlesbrough coach. Um, so if there are anyone for the Middlesbrough coach anywhere on site who can see the sign or hear me, your coach has arrived on Manor Road and you must go and board the coach. Jazakum Allah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Salatu wassalam ala rasul al-kareem. We'll have to make this short and sweet because your buses are here to take you to home sweet home. But I want to make sure that as you leave here today, you are leaving uh, with uh, a positive message. And in fact, uh, much of what uh, I should have said has already been said uh, by the sheikhs who spoke before me. And it's a good thing they said it because I wasn't thinking of saying that. 
But I do have a few thoughts to offer you. One is that I just looked into the Quranic text, the verse of the Quran in Surah 3, it's verse number 110. The verse that says, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. I want you to remember the, the way in which this is said in the Quran. Ukhrijat linnas. You have been raised up for mankind. Remember the for in that, linnas, for mankind. Am I right, uh, Dr. Mamdu? For, for mankind. It means that you are not raised up against mankind, for mankind. Khaira Ummah, you are the best nation raised up for mankind. You have a job to do, a benefit to confer on them. Ta'muruna bil ma'aruf. You enjoin what is right. munkar, and you prevent what is wrong. And you believe in Allah. So you are raised up for mankind. Do not forget that. Benefit humankind in any way that you can. Physically, materially, emotionally. But more importantly, with the guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have something that is more precious than anything else in the world. The guidance that Allah has given you, offer it to humankind. You have been raised up for mankind not against mankind. Now often we forget to do what is so important, sharing this message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with other people, and there are a few reasons for that. One is that we do not understand often uh, the mission of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, whom we try to follow and we ought to follow. And to reflect on his mission, I want to direct you to Surah 62, Surah Al-Jumu'ah, in the second verse. What does it say? Most of you have memorized that. He, that is Allah, is the one who raised up among the unlettered people, a messenger from among them, reciting his ayat to them, and purifying them, and teaching them the book and the wisdom. And surely they were prior to that uh, in obvious deviation. Think about what this verse is saying. Allah sent His Prophet to a people who are referred to as Ummiyin. Now the context you should be aware of always. These people were coming out of Jahiliyyah. They were unlettered people. It means that the message of Allah revealed to the Prophet and expressed in the Prophet's applications will be contextualized to the needs of the people at the time. They were a people that have a description. They were ummiyun, unlettered. When we read the Quran, when we look at the practices of the Prophet remember this context. The Prophet says to them, I am like a father to you. I teach you even how to go to the washroom. Remember that context. The Prophet is doing things for a reason. Now he recites the book of Allah to them. He purifies them. He teaches them the kitab. We know what that is, the book of Allah. And the hikmah. What is the hikmah? Imam al-Shafi in his book al-Risala identified the hikmah as the sunnah. And from that time onwards it became fashionable to refer to the hikmah of the Prophet as the sunnah. As we refer to it as the sunnah and as we follow that sunnah, do not forget to see the hikmah in the sunnah. 
Because that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called it. Hikmah. See the hikmah in what the Prophet ﷺ did. So that when you follow the sunnah, the hikmah should always be apparent. If you have a boss, and the boss gives you an instruction to go around the long way and come in through the back door, because there is no access to the front door. So now you always go around the long way and come in through the back door because there is no access to the front door. Now eventually circumstances change and there is access to the front door. Now you're still going around the long way in through the back door. Somebody asks you, why are you doing this? You say, because my boss told me. Well, so your boss is a foolish man. You have misrepresented your boss. He told you to do it that way because that was the reasonable thing to do when he told you. But he wasn't speaking to a blank mind, an empty mind, uh, somebody with no gray matter between his two ears. He expected you to understand the circumstances and to apply his instruction with hikmah. When we apply the instructions of the Prophet ﷺ, make sure that the elevator is always going all the way to the top. Make sure that we do not misrepresent the Prophet ﷺ. So somebody seeing you practicing the dental hygiene of the Prophet ﷺ should not misunderstand dental hygiene. Do not misrepresent the Prophet ﷺ. Follow his sunnah with hikmah. Understand changing times, circumstances, available equipment, materials that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to provide as the human race evolves over time and using the wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has equipped all human beings with, we continue to develop more, to learn more and to advance as we go with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu A second hindrance uh, to giving the da'wah is that uh, we often are in confusion as to what exactly to follow. And uh, we become so wrapped up with what exactly we're supposed to follow that we have no time left to tell others what they're supposed to be following. And so we have this kind of obsession with finding out who is the saved sect and which is the right manhaj and who's got the right mazhab and whether to follow a mazhab or not. I want to put it in a simple way. There are three types of following. Number one is the blind following. Someone just simply follows a scholar because he is a scholar, or follows a school of scholars because that is an established school of scholars in my area, and that is what I have learned. I'm going to stick to it no matter what, no change, won't ask any questions, won't look for any evidence. I just follow for the sake of following. This is called blind following. We're not allowed to do it that way. We follow the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we follow the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we follow those scholars who are following Allah and following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But we do not follow blindly. We ask these scholars for their evidence, for their dalail, to make sure that we are doing it right, that they are doing it right, and they are teaching it to us right, and that they are reminded of their responsibility to get it from the book of Allah and from the sunnah of the Messenger The second type of following is the selective following. Someone says, I'm not going to follow any of these madhahib because these are just uh, schools of scholars. But then he ends up selectively following some scholars, when he wants to, if their fatwa suit him. So he goes around fatwa shopping. <laughs> what he likes, he follows. And sometimes people make a great fuss 
of following the right scholars. And you will find books on the market trying to identify the true scholarship, those who are on the right manhaj and which is the saved sect. And if you read those books, you will find out that all it amounts to is quotations from people who belong to that following who say that we are on the right following. So the followers prove that they are following the right thing. That's an amazing way of proving things. It is a circular type of argument. We know we are right because we know we are right. What did you call it, Sheikh? A tautology? <laughs> tautology. We know we are right because we know we are right. We are the safe sect because we are the safe sect. Because we say so. And even if we were not the saved sect, we would still tell you we are the saved sect. So the second type of following is the selective following. Uh, and we should avoid that as well. The third type of following is the following with understanding. Or reasonable following, to put it another way. Understand what you're following. Understand the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Understand how they are to be applied in changing times and circumstances. I recently read a book that was written, again, very recently. And the book describes a tahara, purification of Muslims. And it's a wonderful book. And I use it as a reference. I learned a lot from this book. But I searched in vain, back and forth, thinking that I must have missed something here. What did it say about using toilet paper? I found nothing. Not a single mention of toilet paper. As though at the time this writer was writing, toilet paper just didn't exist. The terminology is not there. There is mention of stones and bones and whether this can be used or that cannot be used. But no mention of a thing called a toilet paper. When was this scholar writing? And it's not just one that has done this. More than one books, more than one book available out there do the same thing. As if people think within a box and outside of that box, the thinking does not traverse. Follow reasonably. And follow those scholars who can follow reasonably. So when they look at the Quran and they look at the Sunnah, they also are not blinded to the circumstance in which they live. Reasonable following. So it is not the blind following, it is not the selective following, but it is the following with understanding that will carry us forward to do the Dawah. So we have been raised up for the benefit of humankind. We have to give them that message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One hindrance to giving that message is that we do not understand the mission of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Look again at Surah 62, Ayah number 2. Understand the context, understand the Prophet ﷺ teaching us hikmah. Second barrier to following is because we become caught up between ourselves trying to identify the saved sect. Whereas the mercy of Allah is very wide. The Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah is a very large group. And there is no need to split up the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah into many different sects and little groups and splinters and trying to say this is the saved sect and this other one is not uh, from the saved sect. There's no need for that. Carry on, give the da'wah with the reasonable following. Wa akhir da'wan and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Every town I visit, 
and almost every, almost after every lecture I give, there will be some brothers and if there are sisters in the audience who would come up and ask the following question. Where can we go and study Sharia? And this question comes up again and again and again. It's a good sign. It's a very good sign. It's an indication that the Muslims are turning back to the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of Rasulullah And this is pretty much a new phenomenon. It didn't exist years ago. Years ago, this interest wasn't there. People would just do their limited rituals of ibadat, and that was pretty much their understanding of Islam. But now, the youth are looking beyond that. They want to learn more. So again, I emphasize that it's a good sign. However, what has been happening is that the next year they're going to be coming and asking the same question again. The following year, the same question again. The following year, the same question again. The same people. So three, four, five years have passed and they learned nothing because they're waiting to travel one day to some exotic spot in the world and learn Islamic Sharia. Someone told them that you cannot learn unless you're doing it under a sheikh. Now it's true that that statement was made. And that statement was made in the time of a salaf. That you need to study the knowledge, the ilm, from the scholars. However, it was said in a time when you can travel from the border of China. You could go to Kabul. You could travel through Khurasan. You could go to Baghdad. You could go to Mecca and Medina. You can then go to Cairo, and then move on to Qairawan in North Africa, and then go up into Europe, into Al-Andalus in Spain, to Qurtuba. And you only need two identification cards. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah You needed no passport, no picture ID, no checkpoints would stop you and say, where are you going? You could travel from the east to the west, and back, and nobody would stop you and question you. These were times of security and peace. Why? Because the Sahaba radiallahu anhum laid the foundations for that. So at tabi'een and the ones who came after them were living off the barakat that were left behind by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So they could afford giving years and years to talab al-ilm. In fact, look at what Ibn al-Jawzi said. He said, you need to plan out your life. So you make the intention of talab al-ilm until you reach the age of 40. So you, until the age of 40, you should be seeking knowledge. And then from the age of 40 to the age of 50, you teach that knowledge. And then from the age of 50 to 60, you start writing books. And then from the age of 60 and above, you devote your life to ibadah. He said if death would come and terminate your life before that, you would be rewarded for the entire program because a mu'min is rewarded according to their intention. But those were days when you could life, you could you could you could afford planning out your life in this wonderful way. Now it's a bit different. Now it's a bit more similar to the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. They had to study on the move. They had to learn on the run. They had to move from one place to another, from one country to another country. They didn't they didn't have that stationary. A format where you can come and sit with the scholar for years, for example, like with the students of Abu Hanifa. Abu Hanifa didn't travel from one land to another. His halaqa was in Baghdad, in his masjid. Students would come to him and they would spend years with him. Imam Malik was in Medina. 
Imam Shafi'i was in Baghdad and in Cairo. Imam Ahmad was in Baghdad. So the students would come to them and would study. Now it's not that easy. It's a bit more difficult. So if you can't take the ideal situation and that is seeking the knowledge under the knees of the scholars, go to the second best. We're talking about the ideal situation, but something is better than nothing. Years are going by, the brothers are not, the brothers and sisters are not studying what they can study in their locality where they are. Can't you open the book of Allah and read it? Does the book of Allah need somebody to come with a keychain and open up the locks for you? Allah says, Don't they contemplate in the book of Allah? Don't they ponder in the book of Allah? Or are their hearts sealed? So contemplation in the book of Allah is something that you are supposed to do. Now you're not supposed to give tafsir and fatwa on Quran. That's something the scholars should do. But the contemplation, the pondering, is something that you should do on your own. Allah has given you a mind, and Allah has revealed the book of Allah, the book in a way that it is understandable to the Bedouin living 1400 years ago, and to the modern man who has knowledge and understanding and is literate. Everybody can access the book of Allah Azawajal. It was for the urban people of Mecca, and it was for the Bedouin people of Ghafar. Can't you go and study the Arba'in and Nawawiyah? And there are some wonderful commentaries written on Arba'in and Nawawiyah. <coughs> the book by Sheikh Jamal Zarabuzo, the con uh, commentary on uh, the 14 Nawawiyah hadith. You can read the book of Riyadh al-Salihin. You could uh, read the Sahih Muslim. You could read al-Bukhari. Now I'm telling you that when you're reading it on your own, you're not going to understand it entirely. And you might fall into some pitfalls and mistakes. But some knowledge is better, better than having no knowledge altogether. Get the best out of the situation. And then I want to say, brothers and sisters, that Islam is not limited to seeking knowledge. We have a lot of issues that need to be tended to. We are fighting for our survival, dear brothers and sisters. The Ummah is under attack. There is a great conspiracy among the Ummah, uh, against the Ummah. The, the Ummah needs to be defended. Who's going to take care of da'wah? Who's going to take care of defending the interests of the ummah? So you have to have a complete program for yourself. Don't limit yourself to a pigeonhole. Look at, the, look at the wider picture. Look at what's happening in the world. Look at what's happening to the ummah. And please don't waste your time. And waiting from year to year, when am I going to go to study in Syria or in Yemen or in Egypt? And, and years are passing by in your life. وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خَصْرِ in the name of time, human is in a state of loss. By default, you are losing by the passage of time. Because your life is fixed. Every moment that passes by is eating away part of your body, part of your existence. Every second that goes away is taking away part of you. So by default, you are in a state of loss. How can you make up for that loss? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ Except for those who believe and who do righteous deeds and they advise each other on haqq, truth, and patience. So two things are individual and two things are collective. Iman and amal salih, individual. And then تَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ is something that is done collectively. Uh, so don't let any moment pass you by 
because you would be uh, losing. And I, I want to also say that in addition to uh, uh, a self-study uh, program in Quran and Hadith, uh, an area that is extremely important is the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu And seerah is something that you could study on your own. There are some wonderful books written in seerah. A beginner's book is Rahiq al-Makhtoum, The Sealed Nectar by Al-Mubarak Furi. Uh, do something. Don't let time pass you by. Uh, what about dhikr? What about the ibadah? There's a lot to be done. I mean, you don't... There's a lot that you could do here. There's so much. In fact, al-wajibat akthar min al-awqat. The duties are more than the time you have. Wherever you are in the world. In the world. So, don't waste your time. Let no minute pass you by without squeezing it and getting the best that you can out of it. Take advantage of five before five things happen. Take advantage of five before five things happen. Take advantage of your life before you die. Take advantage of your young age before you become old. Take advantage of your health before you become ill. Take advantage of your wealth before you become poor. And take advantage of your free time before you become busy. This is a commercial break. <laughs> uh, there is uh, uh, distance learning uh, by correspondence. And uh, uh, Sheikh Jafar is a president of uh, the American Open University. They have a wonderful curriculum. Uh, you could take advantage of it. Uh, Dr. Mamdouh is also a professor there. So take advantage of our scholars. If you cannot be with them, then uh, inshallah you can benefit from them through the modern forms of communication. Okay, all now remains is for me to go through the list of announcements for the last time, and then we um, hug and say goodbye to each other. Um, first and foremost, please uh, do go back to your rooms and make sure you have uh, taken all your belongings. Don't just get up yet, you'll disrupt everyone else, unless you have to go. Let me finish the announcements first. Um, go back to your rooms and make sure that you have... Uh, to take in all your belongings. If you do leave anything behind, then lost property from the university will contact us and we'll collect those belongings and you should then contact us in turn. Um, the coaches are going to come anytime on Manor Road, the road in front of us, which you cross to go to Gilbert Murray. Uh, please, nobody should park their cars there until the coaches have come and gone because that will then disrupt coach parking. That will cause very serious traffic problems. Um, how do you tell if a certain coach has arrived? We have to pay attention to the announcements made on the megaphones by the stewards. It's going to be a bit chaotic and noisy, but we have to kind of like listen out for our particular coach. So do listen to the megaphone announcements. Don't ignore them, inshallah. Um, the con conference proceedings and all the lectures at least will be available on the internet on our website. And they will be put on the uh, website in MP3 format so you can download and listen to them all and freely share with people. But the quality CD and videos and DVD and all those type of stuff will be available in between two weeks to perhaps a few months. Uh, you need to join our email list so that you know uh, you are kept up to date. I'll put that up a bit, bit later. 
um, the email list, uh, but for your information, it's mail at gmas.org, and you can subscribe to it, meaning we, we added you, add you on and send you between three to five messages every week, but usually it's far less than that. Um, that's all I have here, by the way. So, Jazakumullah Khairan, thank you very much for attending, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next year. Do manage to uh, apply early if you're coming, because uh, we were booked up a month before the actual event for the families, as you know. Jazakumullah Khairan, thank you very much.